live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter, and coming up, we're talking about Starliner test launches, and of course, taking listener questions about all things in this beautiful universe, because that is what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and you can follow along online or leave a voicemail. Go to spaceradioshow.com for all the links. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about... Where the heck are we going? But first, the news. Hello, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Ohio State and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today where we talk about all the amazing things in our universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with our space cadets on our live streams on youtube and twitch tuning in live from around the world including but not limited to shorewood illinois ashburton new zealand pell city alabama sudbury ontario canada sarasota florida eureka california telemeda greece austin texas earth litchfield county connecticut brasilia brazil and washington dc space cadets they can attest that they have an amazing time on this show and they send a way more questions than I am capable of answering in the time allotted for this program. And that's just the way we like it. Seriously, folks, I've only prepped five, four to two and a half minutes of show material tops. So get those questions in. Before I start taking questions, I wanted to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently. And what I've got my eye on is a test launch happening on December 19th. It was originally scheduled for the 17th, but you know launches are kind of complex things and they pushed it back by a couple days. And hopefully there won't be any more delays. And it's going to be a launch of a new spacecraft a new capsule, a new thing that lets you survive in the cold, hard vacuum of outer space and hopefully return you safely back to Earth. It is the CST-100 made by Boeing. A better name for it is the Starliner, even though it is not going to send anyone to the stars, just low Earth orbit. So, you know, a little bit of false advertising there, but I'll give them a pass because everyone has big fancy names for spaceships and starships and starliners and dreamliners and everyone's going nuts with the whole naming thing of spacecraft. So we'll give them a pass for starliner. And this test flight, this thing, this Starliner has been in development for almost a decade. Boeing first got the money from NASA in 2010. Overall, NASA is spending over $4 billion on this. That is billion with a B. And 
the whole point of this is ever since we retired the space shuttle in 2011, NASA hasn't had a homegrown way to get people into space. We've been renting seats on Soyuz spacecraft launched on the, out of the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan at the, to the tune of like $81 million a spot. And the Russians keep jacking up the price every time we ask and we we just have no homegrown crew to spaceflight capabilities anymore in fact the world doesn't the only people are doing it are the russians based on a spacecraft that was designed in the 1960s come on we can do better than this and starliner is supposed to do better than this one of the coolest things about starliner that i really like is that you know how those old capsules like the Apollo mission uh, crew modules and command modules would splash down in the ocean and then you know, they send a big ship going over to pick it up and it'd be all interesting. What's more interesting is landing on land and that's exactly what the Starliner is going to do. It'll have big parachutes to glide down and then big balloons that pop out the bottom and boop, 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 boop. I assume I'm just visualizing it bouncing across the landscape. This enables many more launches because it's so much easier to land on land than it is to land on water and send ships out and retrieve people. You can just walk over and say, hey, welcome back to Earth. Did you enjoy the view? Hopefully, I hope this Starliner test goes well tonight or on the 19th. I hope the planned crewed mission, which is going to have happen supposedly in the first half of 2020. I'm not really going to place a lot of bets on that. Hopefully the crewed version goes up soon and we can start sending people into space on the regular. And Starliner is designed to fit on a variety of rockets, a lot of rockets that are existing now and plan to exist soon. So I'm excited. Are you excited? Who's not excited for this Starliner? If you're not excited, you need to explain yourself. That's the latest and greatest when it comes to space, but it's time to have a conversation. We've got so many Space Cadet questions tonight that I'm just going to jump right in and let them drive the show. Not in the sense that they're actually in control, but I'm going to give them the illusion of control, which I think is more fun and entertaining for all of us. But I'm going to let them ask all the questions tonight without any voicemails, and we're just going to go straight to it. SAHM is asking immediately about the Starliner and Boeing and I said I was excited by it, but SAHM over on YouTube is asking a different question. Am I optimistic about it? Now, that is a very, very interesting question because, of course, I'm excited that we're finally getting the wheels turning and the gears spinning and the fuel loaded to get up into space again on our own. That said, the Starliner, as fancy as it is, as modern as it is, as sophisticated as it is, it doesn't do much more than what Soyuz is already doing or what Apollo already did or what the space shuttle already did. It's a way, you, you, it's a little capsule, you stick it on top of a rocket, the rocket blasts off, you float around in space for a while, maybe you visit the International Space Station, maybe you do something else, and then you come back down to Earth. 
So yes, I'm glad we're finally doing it, but we're not really doing much more than what we used to when it comes to the Starliner. Is it really an advance to just have another spacecraft doing what we've already been doing for decades? I don't know. When it comes to the Starliner, I hope that now it, once it becomes in place and well-tested, we can have some start having more and regular and hopefully cheaper missions into space. We can just get more people up there faster and sooner and more often. Where my optimism really lies isn't necessarily with the Starliner, but it's with the other programs. It's with the Orion capsule. It's with the SpaceX, uh, what do they call it, the spaceship? Because of course they do. These are the vehicles designed to get us to the moon and get us to Mars, get us to the asteroid belt, get us beyond low earth orbit. The Starliner is just designed for low earth orbit. It's designed for supplying the International Space Station or other space stations. It's not really meant to do anything past that. The other capsules that are being developed right now and other spaceships that are being developed right now are meant to get us past low Earth orbit, which is a whole other can of worms, very difficult. We've done it once before with the Apollo missions, but we haven't really done it since. That's where a lot of my optimism lies, where we're finally doing something new. We're finally doing something different that we haven't done before, even though the whole Artemis program of NASA, the whole goal is to get people back on the moon. So technically, we've already done that. But at least it feels fresh. At least it feels different. So I'm excited for Starliner. I'm sure it's going to work out great. I'm sure there will be some hiccups, the usual tests, minor catastrophes that will have to be fixed in the nick of time. I'm optimistic that it will succeed in its mission. I'm not too super optimistic about what we do after that because that's going to require other technologies. Matthew DeFleury is asking, does a black hole lead to another universe. No, but I mean, technically, 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 we don't understand what's at the center of a black hole. Physics breaks down, our knowledge of space and time breaks down, gravity breaks down, our understanding of the forces breaks down. We just don't know. We have a label for the center of, the, of a black hole. We call it the singularity, as if that is supposed to be somehow meaningful and useful, but it's not. All it is is a signpost saying, hey, everything we understand breaks down here, so just, just don't look too closely. Everywhere around the singularity, the rest of the black hole, we're working on it. We can grapple with it. We don't fully understand everything, of course, but at least we have the right language. But at the center of the black hole, at the point of infinite density, technically, we don't know what's going on. In that realm of infinite possibilities, there have been some ideas presented that maybe the center of a black hole is a wormhole and wormholes allow you to connect to other universes. I'm going to wait till after the break. That's why, right? What an amazing tease that I just set up for you. But I have to do it because this is radio and I got to keep you tuned in. I'm just doing my job. I'm making Greg happy, even though he broke my heart 
And if you're just listening on the radio, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's why you have to catch the live stream. So you know why Greg broke my heart? But I'm still going to do right by him. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash Sutter to learn how you can keep this show going. And I'll see you after the break. Support for 90.5 WCBE and Space Radio comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got so many questions ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation. By leaving a voicemail or by following the live streams, go to spaceradioshow.com for all the links. Now, before the break, I was talking about Matthew DeFleury's question about does the black hole lead to another universe? Technically, we don't know what happens inside of a black hole at the very center in the singularity, that point of infinite density. But wormholes aren't really going to be an option. There is there is a, a mathematical description that if you have a rotating black hole, that singularity is in a point and get, instead it gets stretched around a ring. And that if you go inside the black hole, you can loop around the ring and it can kind of sort of be a wormhole that allows you to transport to somewhere else in space and time. And you can, might call that a different universe if you want or just a different part of our own universe. The thing about black holes Here's a very, very critical thing about black holes that a lot, of, a lot of people ignore, which is once you enter the event horizon, the boundary of the black hole, you can't escape. That is the entire definition of a black hole. Once you enter a black hole, you cannot escape. That is their very point. That is why they're so interesting and also scary. Once you cross the boundary of an event horizon, that boundary of the black hole, you can't leave. So even if there was a wormhole trans that could tunnel to another universe, because you've crossed the event horizon of a black hole, you cannot leave. What this means is that you would enter the black hole, you would see the wormhole. You're like, oh, hi, you wormhole. And you would travel down that wormhole, that little tunnel through space and time. You would pop out the other end and you would be inside of another black hole. Even if that other black hole was inside another universe or whatever, you are inside of another black hole and you can never escape it. And then you will get crushed at the singularity. That's it. Once you enter a black hole, whole you do not escape this is why i caution every interstellar traveler to give black holes a very wide margin yes they're interesting yes they're fascinating yes they're at the boundaries of known physics yes they are dangerous this is why by the way i have another book coming out i don't know if i've told you guys yet it's called how to die in space it will be out this june by pegasus it's gonna be a release nationwide booksellers nationwide how to die in space there's 
several chapters devoted to black holes and wormholes and how dangerous they are and how foolish you would be to even contemplate encountering one. All right? I'm just looking out for you, space cadets. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to keep you safe. Washington Rake on YouTube is asking, I'm loving the string theory series you're doing. By the way, on my podcast, Ask the Spaceman, and also on YouTube, I'm doing a very long multi-episode series about string theory, asking if it's really worth it. And uh, Washington Rake is asking, can you talk a little bit more about the electromagnetism equations popping up from the five dimensions of general relativity with closed dimensions? Yeah, this is something very, very interesting that cropped up in the early 20th century. Soon after Einstein developed general relativity, people started playing around with the math and just messing around, just goofing off, looking for interesting combinations or ideas in this new landscape known as general relativity relativity. And some folks figured out that if you add an extra dimension to general relativity, like you say, okay, are you, instead of four, instead of four dimensional space time, we have five dimensional space time. And then you add an extra condition on that extra dimension where it has to loop back in on itself, like the surface of a cylinder, or the surface of a ball. Then once you crunch through the mathematics of trying to derive general relativity in that new structure of space-time, you end up with the equations of general relativity, which is how we, what we use to understand gravity, and you automatically end up with the equations of electromagnetism, which is how we understand, well, electromagnetism. And so immediately, and this ended up going nowhere, like that's not really a useful way to think about the universe, but it was very intriguing because it suggested that there might be this interesting link between the geometry of the universe and the forces of nature. That is one of the things that string theory points to, not necessarily as, a, oh, string theory evolved from this kind of description, but it's almost like an intellectual ancestor of like, look, 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 when you start adding extra dimensions to our universe, interesting things might happen. Great question. Uh, we're going to skip down. People are asking what kind of cheese I'm going to eat tonight. And if you don't watch the live streams, you are missing out. Uh, Arnetta Davis on YouTube is asking, do you think that Planet Nine could be a black hole? Planet Nine is this hypothetical planet that might or might not exist way outside the solar system. We're talking like 50 times the orbit of Pluto or something. I personally am relatively skeptical about the existence of Planet Nine. I think it's a very thin line of evidence that points to an existence. And it was first hypothesized years ago, and we still don't have a picture of it. It could be out there. It'd be pretty cool if it were out there. But as time goes on and they still haven't spotted it and the evidence hasn't really built or mounted or, or gone in any conclusive direction, it's just getting less and less likely because, you know, they're working really hard to find a new planet out there. And, and as long as they don't find it, they don't find it. And one of the possibilities is that what we're looking for is a planet. 
we're looking for something that's a little bit warm, that has a little bit of heat so we can spot it with an infrared telescope. Uh, maybe it's not a planet. And we're not doing that. We're not seeing a planet 9, so maybe it's dark. Maybe it's a black hole. Maybe it doesn't glow. But man, that just keeps stretching and stretching it. Like if you're not going to find it, you you don't get to say, well, it's just something more exotic, but it's definitely out there. And I was like, come on, just find it already or don't or give up or do something else. Thank you so much for all those fun questions from the Space Cadets. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is The Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And the question I posed at the top of the episode, in relation to Starliner and Spaceship and Orion on all the the future space exploration thingies that we're going to do, is where are we going next? Like, what's... I guess the bigger question I have is, yeah, yes, yeah, NASA has plans to go to the moon. SpaceX has plans to go to Mars. Uh, nobody has plans to go to the asteroid belt. Everybody has plans to go to low Earth orbit. But what are we, what are we doing? What's the point? Now, I'm certainly not going to argue that we necessarily need a point, in order to do space travel, we can do space travel just because it's fun and interesting and we feel like spending the money on it. We feel like spending money on all sorts of fun and interesting things and space exploration can be one of them. And so that's fine. But where exactly are we going? Do we have a purpose? Do we have a point? Do we have a goal? Is our goal long-term human habitation on another world? If so, that's a pretty hard goal. That's a multi-generational goal. Are we really going to be able to sustain that vision over decades and even centuries in order to accomplishment? That level of investment of not just money, but time and talent and passion Is that really our goal? Is our goal just to keep doing stuff because we already have the infrastructure, we already have a NASA, we already have a SpaceX, we already have a Lockheed Martin, and uh, the Russians are doing something, the Chinese are doing stuff, so I suppose we should do it. Is that our goal? Is that our vision? Is that what's driving us? Is it something deeper? Is it something more fundamental? Are we exploring because we are naturally curious? That's part of being human and we just want to get out there and do cool stuff? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what our point is. I don't know what our goal is. I don't know what our vision is when it comes to space flight and space exploration of the solar system. I am in support of space exploration and crude exploration of the solar system and visiting other planets and other worlds and kicking up rocks and doing cool stuff. But I feel like we need, we need something bigger to latch onto, like a statement, a slogan we can put on a t-shirt. And I'm open to suggestions. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter. And this show is brought to you by you. Visit patreon.com slash pmsutter 
to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the Space Cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio in Columbus for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com for more info and with links to the live stream locations, episode archive, the deal. You can also follow me directly on social media, all platforms. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, Space Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing and transmission.